Welcome to Lead with Confidence, the podcast where we will explore the journeys of leaders who inspire, empower, and believe in others. Join me to discover your self-confidence in love, life, and leadership. This is not your typical leadership podcast. We're here to celebrate leaders who are not defined by their titles or corner offices. Instead, they're defined by their unwavering commitment to becoming better versions of themselves every single day. The formula is different for everyone. So take what you want, leave what you don't. We are here to learn and grow together. I'm Desiree Petrick, owner of Intentional Action, motivational speaker, and executive coach, and I can't wait to join your journey to learn what it means to lead with confidence. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Lead with Confidence. This episode is a little bit different. On the fourth Thursday of every month, I am going to do a book review because I love reading and I have so many of my friends and coworkers and other people tell me, I wish I could read, I wish I had the time. So not only is this my way of saying I read insert book title here so that you don't have to, but also this very first book, Take the Stairs by Rory Vaden, is all about how we can achieve true success and what it means to evaluate and possibly even overcome our excuses of what it looks like to not have enough time, or at least our excuse that we don't have enough time. So I want to preface this by saying, I think you should still read this book. There is only so much that I can tell you, only so much that you are going to be able to take away from me actually sharing my takeaways from this book. But in order to actually get everything that you would maybe find as a takeaway, I do encourage you to read this book. So the link to the book in Amazon is in the show notes. If you want to check it out, I highly encourage you to do that. I had actually been asked to review Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money, which I did read. And I actually had a major epiphany with one sentence in that book. The book was fantastic. I have a much greater knowledge of the financial world and U.S. history than I did prior to reading it. But me sharing that book with you would be like me trying to show you how to use QuickBooks. It would be painful. And I don't like the word cringeworthy, but that's exactly what it would be. So I'm not going to review that book. However, I do highly recommend that if you are at all interested in anything money, finances, how to take control of your finances, the timeless lessons of wealth, greed, and happiness, which happens to be the subtitle. I do highly recommend it. And I've already had multiple people ask me if they could borrow it. My husband, who in 10 years that we've been together has never picked up a book, actually asked me if he could read it. So you know it's going to be good. I would share blurbs with him here and there. But anyway, back to Take the Stairs. So the subtitle of this is Seven Steps to Achieving True Success. And if you know anything about the DISC personality method, I have a couple of episodes coming up in a few weeks about the DISC method. I'm going to be bringing in my friend Brian. He's going to talk about it with me, but just a little bit of an overview. I am a high I D, which means that I'm aggressively friendly. I'm sometimes a little just more on the aggressive side, but I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to tell you with a smile on my face. And I, if I had to guess, I would guess that Rory Vaden is also an ID or a DI, somewhere in that um, direct and very extroverted, very um, up for change, up for new ideas because of the way that he writes and because of the ideas that he puts into this book. So he and I are very similar. 
I'm going to share with you just two or three chapters worth of what I really took away from this book and the lessons that I think are going to really get your mind turning and get you to think about things maybe a little bit differently. So in the introduction of the book, he explains the escalator mindset, how we live in a society where we have this need for immediate gratification, this need to have everything go quickly and results be inevitable, but also very fast. And we're not always willing to put in the work to get there. So this escalator mindset is crushing our confidence and it's not allowing us to take the actions that we need to, to be successful because we are always looking for this easy way out. We're always looking for this faster step, this pill to help us lose weight, this face cream to make our acne go away, um, as opposed to looking on the inside, taking the escalator versus the stairs, because we will not see the immediate results of what it would look like to take the stairs, but we will see the immediate results of not having to work so hard to get to the top and being able to get there faster. That's what the escalator mindset is. But the other piece of it is that we are getting distracted because of all of these messages about immediate gratification and wanting things to go fast. We are getting distracted, so we're not paying enough attention to the things that are directly within our control. We spend a lot of time saying, I'm too busy, or that's not my responsibility, or I have too many responsibilities. We get distracted by our phones. We get distracted by the TV. We get distracted by all of the different events and things that people are doing to spend their time, and we aren't paying enough attention to the things that are directly within our control. So all of this culminates into the seven steps that Rory believes is going to get you to true success. I think I have three chapters worth of notes of my biggest takeaways. I do go through when I read a book and highlight the things that I I want to think about more or that really struck me from there, which is why I ended up accidentally washing a hardcover book. If I read it in bed before bed, I'll throw it in my laundry basket when I bring my laundry, my dirty laundry down And then I set it on my desk. Well, obviously, once I didn't do that because I ended up washing it. But typically, it ends up back on my desk. From there, I translate all of the highlighted sections along with my notes into a little notebook that I have. And people often ask me, how do you retain anything? Why is it worth reading 60 books a year? There's no way that you could retain that information. You're not getting anything. You're on information overload. It's just like I said with the Psychology of Money book. I had one major epiphany that is going to set the trajectory for a message that I give in my new keynote, and that's all it took. I mean, I learned a lot. I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed the process of reading it, but I in no way intended to remember everything that I read. It would not be possible. The amount of information in my head would it would explode. So You do not need to remember everything. Go into reading a book with the intention of just getting a few nuggets. The language, the process of reading, those are the things that are going to move the needle forward. Those are the things that are going to propel you into why I am so passionate about including personal development into your life. 
So that's why I think you should read. That's why I think you should read more than anything else, but you will get those little nuggets that are going to shape the way that you think about certain things. So the notes that I took are the things that I highlighted out of Rory's book. Chapter two, I skipped the first chapter. Chapter two is commitment. It's this, the concept that the more money that we have invested in something, the more time that we have invested in something, the less likely we are to let it fail. The more money we have invested in something, the less likely we are to let it fail. So for example, I got a small amount of money after my mom passed away. And I said, I want this to create a legacy. I am going to use it to start my own business. And once it's gone, it's gone. That's okay. But everything I have is now in this. I cannot let it fail. I will not let it fail. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how I'm going to close the gap from where I am right now to what I want it to look like in the future. I don't even know what that, that vision is yet, but I know I won't let it fail because not only do I have money invested in it, I have time invested in it. So our commitment, the more that we are willing to invest in ourselves and invest in the things that we want, the less likely we are to let it fail. So when you see, there's a million free offers on the internet right now, whether you're an entrepreneur and you are looking to learn more about digital marketing, you're looking more about email marketing. If you want to learn more about pretty much anything, there is a free online webinar somewhere, but it's the same thing. I'm sure there's free classes on quilting, on hunting, on fishing, regardless of what your hobby is, you can find a free webinar. But signing up for those things is not going to uh, create the commitment that you want in order to truly be successful. You might watch it. You might not watch it. You might delete it before it even gets to you. But by placing commitment in something, by allowing ourselves to actually invest in that thing, we are immediately creating that commitment. So no matter how you define success, Getting there will inevitably require that you expend energy, both physical and emotional. That's a paraphrase of a quote in Rory's book. So no matter how you define success, I have in my Foundation of Self workshop, we redefine success to what it looks like for us because my definition of an entrepreneurial journey and yours is going to look different. My definition of a health journey and what yours is they're going to look very different. So first off, we have to define success. We have to define it to what it means to us, not only because our journeys are different from one person to another, but because we have to understand that in order to feel successful at something, we need to actually be able to reach success. And in order to feel successful at something, we have to believe that we can close that gap from where we are right now to what we defined success as. Once we get there, we need to be willing to celebrate. We need to be willing to be excited. And you get to reach it more often than not when you define it in a way that makes sense to who you are. But what Rory's saying is that regardless of how you define that, regardless of if my physical journey means that I can run a 5k in 30 minutes or less, if that's my definition, great. But that's not going to manifest the dream for me. Saying it out loud and having a good definition, we can't stop there. If you know me, you know that I like to throw around the number 60. 
That's 60 books read every year. Everything from leadership to fiction and from memoirs to romance. The last Monday of every month, I release an episode of Lead with Confidence where we will dive deep into my favorite personal development book for the month. I will read them so you don't have to. However, I do truly think that books have the power to change your life. So if you're looking to learn and grow with some intentional action this year, check out my five favorite books that have moved the needle for me the most. Head over to DesireePetrick.com slash books. That's B-O-O-K-S. And I'll send you my list along with the links to get your very own copy. That's DesireePetrick.com slash books. Let's read and learn and grow together. The third piece is that we have to follow through on that goal. And it will inevitably require that we expend energy, both physical and emotional. It's going to take not only physical work, regardless of what your definition of success is for any area, but it's also going to take that emotional work, the arguing or having a discussion with yourself about whether it is a priority to you and whether you're willing to give up TV to work on that thing, whether you are willing to sacrifice a little bit of sleep so that you can do that thing. My husband requires 10 hours of sleep at night. I do not. However, he continuously gets frustrated with me when I say I'm tired and he says, well, sleep in longer. We have different definitions of success. And to him, that means being able to sleep 10 hours a night. To me, it means having two hours in the morning to work on my stuff prior to my children getting up. And if that means that I have to sacrifice a little bit of sleep, if it means that I have to be a little more tired than I would ideally like to be for this season, I'm willing to do that. That is my definition of success. It takes physical energy to get up in the morning. And it also takes emotional energy to have that conversation with myself and have the discipline to do it, but also to then feel a little bit tired knowing that it was a decision that I made. So it's going to take both physical and emotional energy. So chapter three is called focus. It's the magnification principle. And Rory goes deep into the three types of procrastination. Now, I can't see you, but I can assume that if I asked you to raise your hand, if you find yourself procrastinating on a daily basis, you would be raising your hand right now. There are three different types of procrastination only one of which is truly conscious. The classic type of procrastination is the fact that we are consciously delaying things like paying bills, cleaning, going to the gym. We are having that discussion with ourselves of, do I want to pay bills right now? No, I would rather do this or no, this needs my attention or no, I need to spend more time with my kids or my spouse. We are consciously procrastinating. We are delaying those things, knowing that eventually we will get to them likely knowing that it's not at a detriment to ourselves and our ability to reach success by not doing them in this very moment. It's not a high ticket type of procrastination. Typically, there's always that outlier. But the second type of procrastination is creative avoidance. And this is very often seen in the workplace. Um, he had a uh, a quote or a stat in there about the amount of money that a workplace loses because of the creative avoidance procrastination that their employees use on a daily basis. So essentially what I wish I had written down that number, but I didn't, you'll have to buy the book, but the creative, creative avoidance procrastination is essentially filling the day with busy work. We all know what that looks like. We all know that we need to finish this big project 
or this presentation or that we need to send this really difficult email. But instead we say, well, my email's full. I really need to check on that. Or I really should start this new project because I have to get it to them by this certain time. We have creative avoidance because we are still working. We still feel productive in that moment, but we are not putting our energy towards the most important things that actually need to get done. So Parkinson's law is one of the things that I teach in my time management course. And it's essentially the fact that you can fill the amount of time that you have with any task. If you say, I am going to watch TV for five minutes and then I'm going to spend two hours cleaning. You will likely, unless you have some great discipline, end up filling the amount of time that you have with TV until it's time to go to bed. And then you will have never gotten to the cleaning portion of it. So that is what Parkinson's law is. And it's essentially what he is defining with creative avoidance. The fact that we will and we can fill the time that we have with things that aren't going to move the needle forward unless we are super disciplined and intentional about putting time towards the things that we need. So my way of overcoming that is always saying, do the timed activities first. So I call it time chunking. I try and stretch for 20 minutes every night. I read for 20 minutes a day. I try and go on a 15 minute walk. So I set amounts of time knowing that 30 minutes of walking is not realistic every day. 15 minutes is a little more realistic. So I chunk that time out and say, today I have to get it done. The more things that you get done earlier on in the day, not only is your energy and your your willpower still full towards the beginning of the day or the beginning of the evening, whatever time you have available, but once you get that done, you can feel accomplished. If that was your definition of success for the day was finishing those 20 minutes, you get to celebrate that. And then if you have another hour left and you want to fill it with something, that's okay. You still get to feel successful. But if you start with something that has no end time, no, it's very hard to actually stop watching TV or playing video games or whatever it might be. It's going to be a lot more difficult to stop that in the middle and go to something that feels more productive and maybe a little bit more time and energy taxing. So in order to overcome Parkinson's law, where we're filling our time with this busy work or not so work-like busy things like TV and video games, or for me, it's games on my phone. I do have a slight addiction, but we can also start to move the needle forward, even with very small increments of the things that we do want to get done. So chunk your time, do the timed activities first. That's going to help you to overcome that Parkinson's law and that creative avoidance. So priority dilution is the third way that we procrastinate and it affects high achievers most. In my business intentional action, I say that my goal is to help turn high achievers into great leaders because they're not necessarily the same thing. High achievers are individuals who are willing to be told what to do. They are willing to get it done. They do it well. They sometimes don't even need to ask a lot of questions. They might be looking for appreciation and gratitude from their employer, but a lot of times they are just willing to do it because it's in their personality. But this priority dilution, it kind of requires that 
you take something that's urgent, like that project that you know that you need to get done. Or for me, it's the book that I'm writing. I only have two months left before I need to start working on publishing. So I'm taking that very urgent task and I'm diluting the how big of a priority it is by saying that some other things are more important. I have a list of 10 things I need to get done. And although that's the number one thing I need to get done in that moment, I move it to number three because the other things are other easier, less time consuming, less energy expending, whatever it might be. So in order to overcome, this isn't in the book, but in order to overcome this priority dilution, there are a lot of personal development books. There are a lot of time management books that are going to tell you, you need to put your top three tasks at the very top of your to-do list and erase the rest. Get rid of the rest. Don't even put them on the list because unless we are getting those three most important things done, the rest of it isn't going to matter. We need to make sure that the priorities are happening and we're not diluting them by putting too much focus on other things and not enough on those priorities. So unlike priority dilution, where you're taking something that you really, really need to get done and kind of diluting it and making it just important and not urgent, creative avoidance is where we are taking things that aren't really that important, like getting our inbox to zero, and we're making them urgent or making them seem like they're a lot more important than they are. So they're a little bit of the same because it really does affect people in the workplace, but in the opposite way. This week's episode is brought to you by Natural Cycles, the first FDA-cleared birth control app. It allows you to learn the unique pattern of your cycle with tailored updates and insights. Recently, it was updated to pair with your Apple Watch for effortless tracking. It's hormone-free, non-invasive, and effective. The app was also recently updated to allow your partner to log in and keep track to be a part of the process, either for birth control or planning of a pregnancy. By using my link, you will get 20% off of an annual subscription and a free thermometer. Go to DesireePetrick.com slash natural cycles or click on the link in the show notes. So Rory goes on to say that time management is essentially the number one problem facing individuals. And it's not because we don't have enough time, but it's the illusion that we give ourselves that we don't have enough time. Either because of creative avoidance where we're filling our time with things that aren't that important. And so the things that are actually very important to us are not getting done. So they constantly are on our mind and we're feeling guilty that we're not putting more work towards them. Or we feel like we're not spending enough time with our children versus our work. And so this concept of work-life balance has come into our society strong. It's something that everyone thinks that they want or that they need. But Rory is saying in this myth of balance in chapter five that balance should mean the appropriate amount of time spent on critical priorities. Um, I didn't write this down, so I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he talks about how you can stay fit with 30 minutes of exercise three to four times a week. That's all it takes, two hours, um, assuming you're eating semi-healthy, but essentially it's two hours worth of work in order to stay healthy. Balance is not going to work because we can't just uh, give two hours to our work life and call that good. We have to put the appropriate amount of time, which in the corporate world typically is 40 hours per week on that work life that we have to have. And so we can't balance time. It wouldn't make sense. We wouldn't be able to say two hours with my children all week is enough whereas it is for exercising. So it's 
the appropriate amount of time spent on the things that are important to us, on the critical priorities. So the season of harvest is what this chapter five is all about. And without going too much into that, what he is trying to portray is that we have too many seasons that we're trying to harvest at one time, whether it's a season of education, whether you're in school or taking an online class or trying to learn how to quilt. There's seasons of independence where you are a bachelor and you're living alone and you have all the time in the world to exercise. It's a season of love. Maybe you are dating or engaged. You're planning a wedding. You're going on dates. It's a season of growth. I was in a season of growth for three years where I spent the majority of my time reading personal development and taking online courses. A season of grief where you've lost someone. Maybe it was the version of you that you thought you wanted or a family member. I was in a season of grief after losing my mom that lasted a year where I lost five people all within that year. A season of sickness. Maybe you found out that you have an illness and you have to learn how to to deal with that. You have to learn how to balance that out. It's a season of health where you get to focus on your health and your fitness and your eating. And if you've ever read Shonda Rhimes' A Year of Yes, I highly, highly recommend that book. It was fantastic, um, where essentially she spent an entire year saying yes to everything that scared her. Your seasons are not all going to overlap. And when we try to get them to overlap, like right now, I'm in a season of entrepreneurship, a season of young children. I'm in a season of, I want to be in a season of health. It is typically getting put on the back burner these days, although it is still top of mind. And I am trying to be in a season of yes. And a lot of times it's getting overwhelming. So I am trying to set my priorities, which is why I actually bought this book. I bought it because it was a message that I needed to hear in the moment. And so I'm trying to not look at balancing these seasons because there is no way that I could give the amount of time to my children that I'm giving to my health. It wouldn't make sense. So how can I prioritize these seasons so that I can harvest everything? I can harvest all of the great emotional and memorable moments with my children while still being healthy. I can still harvest all of the growth that I get from the time that I put into reading books, but I'm not losing out on any of that time with my kids. It really is not about trying to make everything fit into this puzzle, but really figuring out which pieces are the largest. And I don't know if that's the message that Rory has for you. I I think that it's, it's going to look different to all of us because of the current season of life that we are in. But in order to maximize the harvest season that you are in, it has to be the biggest priority. It has to be the biggest piece of your life, the the piece that gets the most time. We are appropriating the appropriate amount of time on that critical priority. So something else that Rory said that I've already quoted multiple times in different podcast interviews I've had is that we can't say that we don't have enough time. We can't say that we don't have enough time because A, we all have the same amount of time. If you are feeling like you don't have the time for the priorities that you have, you either need to shift your priorities to make sure that you are dedicating the appropriate amount of time 
or you have to let that season go for right now and know that you will have an opportunity to pick it back up at another time. But directly from the book, it says, don't allow yourself the indulgence of saying I'm too busy or I don't have time. It's an indulgence because as soon as you say I'm too busy, your creativity disengages and you are suddenly off the hook. So for me, what that looks like is I could say I'm too busy to write a book. Even though it's a huge priority to me, I could say I'm too busy to write a book. I'm in a season of sickness right now with two little kids where we are sick all the time. I'm too busy to write a book. But that would immediately disengage my need to be creative and figure out chunks of time where I could get this done because it is a priority to me. And so instead of saying I'm too busy, I could say it's not a priority to me right now, but that's not the case. It is a priority. So I have to creatively find ways to make time. I have to, whether that's putting my phone down, turning off the TV, waking up early, going to um, a coffee shop, whether it's maybe sacrificing a little bit of my season of physical health right now, which I really struggle with that because as a weightlifter and someone who enjoys swimming and dancing, it's been really hard for me to put that on the back burner, but that is the season of sacrifice that I'm in. So I, I really encourage you that instead of saying I don't have enough time or it's too hard or putting anything in an absolute, you really focus on what's my priority right now? Am I giving it the appropriate amount of time that it deserves as a priority in my life? And if I'm not, how can I be creative and come up with ways to give it the appropriate amount of time that it needs? So people, myself included, we sometimes base our self-worth on our outcomes. I might be able to say I'm basing my self-worth on being at this weight or looking a certain way, fitting into this size of clothes, publishing my book, having this much money coming in from my business, being able to go on this number of vacations each year. We, we base our self-worth on these outcomes, these finalities, these goals. But what if instead we put our self-esteem into the habits that are getting us there? on the ability to wake up early, on the ability to read the book instead of watching TV, playing with the kids on the floor instead of sitting on our phone, taking the, the kids or going on a date with our spouse or taking our kids to the pool so that we can create some memories. If we put our self-esteem and our confidence into those habits, into our ability to be disciplined and consistent and to celebrate those successes, the the self-esteem, the confidence is going to come from that consistency. It's going to come from our ability to follow through and from the habits that we put. It's not about the results because by the time you get to this result that you set for yourself in this arbitrary amount of time that you set, you may realize it wasn't something you wanted anyway. And if we're not putting our self-esteem into the habits that are getting us there and our confidence is tied to our position at work and we get fired, is our confidence still there? If our confidence is in our six-pack and we have children and our six-pack goes away, is our confidence still there? If our confidence is tied to an amount of money that we make each year and our side hustles, the company that we work with dissolves and it, it's all gone, is our confidence still there? We have to make sure that we're not tying our self-worth and our confidence to these results that we don't technically have 100% control over. We have to make sure that our confidence is not tied to an outcome that we don't have control over 
So take control of the things that you can, which is your habits and your creativity and your willingness to put the work in. That's what's going to create that confidence and that self-worth in things that you actually have control over. So he follows all of this up in the conclusion with our problem isn't time management, it's self-management. And the reason I talked about DISC at the beginning of this podcast episode is because as a D, as a very direct person, as a person who sometimes puts our foot in our mouth and our maybe our emotional and social intelligence isn't where it is, it can sometimes be easy to say things that make people feel inadequate, to make people feel like they're not doing enough or being enough or trying hard enough. And I even felt that way a little bit in this book, saying, I know all these things. I've heard all these things. I've read these things. I've listened to these things in podcasts and books. Nothing that he said was technically new. The way that he said it was new, it was all very unique. It was all super interesting, but it was nothing that I hadn't technically heard before. And so as an individual who doesn't like change, as someone who's really hard on yourself or has really high expectations for yourself, it can be really hard to hear that you are the only one responsible for yourself. And anything that you don't like in your life is your fault. That can how that that's how it feels. It's how it comes across when someone is telling you, well, you could try this and you could try this and you could try this. So I in no way want you to walk away from having listened to this and feel like you are not enough. I do not want you to walk away from this and feel like you're not trying hard enough or not being creative enough. I want you to walk away from this with so much inspiration and so many new ideas and such a feeling of self-worth knowing that all of the time that you put into taking care of your babies, all the time that you put into your job that you're really proud of, the worth that you have from that is not from the title that you have. It's from the relationships that you've built. It's from the amount of respect that you have with the people that you work with. It's the amount of love that is shared between you and your kids. It's that work that you're putting in. All that these books on time management are going to do, they're going to give you really tangible ways of overcoming any excuses that you're giving to yourself and giving you new ideas, new options, new tools to try in your life so that if you feel like you're too busy or you feel like you're not giving time to the priorities that you really want to prioritize in your life, you have all the tools that you need. And your community, your family, they're not going to let you fail. And the only way that you will truly fail is if you don't learn anything from the process. So I really hope that you enjoyed this. I wasn't sure what a review on a book was going to look like because I do read a lot of them and a lot of what I highlight is mostly for me. So I hope that this information was helpful to you. I hope that if you don't take the time to read this book, you still got something out of the message from Rory because I think it's an excellent book. I think that there is so much to be said about time management and I'm actually going to link Rory's TED Talk It's about how you can multiply your time, and it's based on his book, um, Procrastinate on Purpose. So it's not about this book. It will have new information. I'm going to link that for you. I think it's 18 minutes. It's totally worth watching, and if feeling like you don't have enough time is a common common thought going through your head, I do think that it's going to give you a lot of knowledge and a lot of tangible advice on what you can do. So 
if you have a request for a book or a type of book or a, a subject matter maybe that you want me to review next time, I usually read about five to seven books a month. So I'm happy to throw one in there that's going to give you a little bit more of what you're hoping for. Like I said, I do really hope that you read these books. If there's something that really spoke to you today, I hope that you'll go buy this book and read it. If it takes you a year, that's okay. It's the process. It's in the process. Find your self-worth in the process of reading the book and knowing that you are putting in the time to grow and to learn. And I hope that that's what this episode has done. I hope you feel ignited with passion and excitement about the opportunity to work on your goals. So if you are willing to leave a review for this podcast, Lead With Confidence, it would mean so much to me. I already saw that some of you have done that and it it tickled me. It made my heart so happy to know that people are enjoying these messages and that we are getting to be friends on this platform. If you want to send me a message, you can... Um, Instagram, I'm at Desiree Petrick, LinkedIn, Desiree Petrick. You can email me at leadwithconfidencepodcast at gmail.com. Find a way to get in touch with me. I want to hear from you. I do have a newsletter that goes out every week and I usually link the books that I'm reading, books that I've read. I will link to Amazon so that you can purchase them for yourself. Sometimes they're audiobooks if something's on a really good deal. So I love reading. I hope that it's something that you can love too, even if it's a book a year, that's way more than most people. So I please leave a review, sign up for the newsletter. You can go to DesireePetrick.com slash newsletter and sign up for that. I am so excited to have our next guest on later this week, but until then, lead with confidence.